The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the visit of our good friend Dr Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am with you, yes. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And another topical show for you this week, folks, entitled The Real Story of the War on Food, Fuel and Freedom. So where would you like to start us off today, Peter? We have seen so many attacks on food and fuel, which is critical because really bear in mind that the world is run by, uh, to a large extent, food, fuel and finances. Now, food and fuel are commodities, finances are cash. Food and fuel are real things. I mean, you can't eat cash. Um, There are those who try to control the world through finances and finances are certainly significant and important uh, in many ways, but uh, let's face it, food and fuel are far more important because, you know, you can barter and while you can't eat Bitcoin and um, a dollar or pound notes and so on, uh, food is vital to life and fuel is vital to civilization, industry, travel and so on. So uh, the commodities versus the cash are pretty key. Now, to a large extent, the world since the end of the Second World War has been run by the petrodollar and the finances, the bankers, or should we call them the banksters, and they've tried to control everything by requiring everyone to basically trade internationally using the dollars, the international currency. And right now, you've got a major challenge to this coming from the BRICS countries, um, Brazil, Russia, uh, India, uh, China, and South Africa, and others are joining as well. But uh, together, they represent a huge uh, slice of the world's population and, and industry and, and all the rest. And they are now working to trade, not using the dollar, but rather using um, the yen and the ruble and, and other means. And all of this represents a serious threat to the global dominance of the new world order, which basically is operating out of the United States, America and Great Britain, London and New York, Washington, D.C. This is pretty key to them. And we've seen some pretty serious things happen just recently. Of course, we all know about the sabotage of Nord Stream uh, 1 and 2 just before the Baltic pipeline was opened up. Uh, The day before the rival pipeline uh, from Norway is opened up, uh, um, lo and behold, interesting. uh, But Russia blows up its own infrastructure and pipeline, according to the narrative. Um, The single uh, biggest source of income coming from 
their natural gas and uh, coal and oil exports, and uh, they would blow up one of the most uh, expensive piece of infrastructure, destroying their ability to have leverage over Europe. Interesting um, that we are meant to believe that they would score an own goal like that. But the timing, there's a whole lot of other things coming out about the two. The main thing is you can see there's an attack on fuel. Well, OPEC decides to produce 2 million barrels of oil less per day. 2 million barrels of oil per day is a lot. I don't think many people realize that we're producing that much here, but 2 million barrels less per day. The biggest cut um, uh, in recent memory, just staggering. And that's after Biden traveled to Saudi Arabia to plead with them to increase production. So you can see that not everyone is obeying their colonial masters and uh, doing what the banksters and the new world disorder tell them to do. And this has got to represent some serious setbacks for some of the people in the World Economic Forum plans. But I came across an intriguing piece of information just yesterday. Uh, here we are in South Africa, and uh, lo and behold, our biggest coal plant in South Africa has just been shut down. Now, we've been going through level two, three, four, level six power failures. Level six means you've got six hours of no uh, electricity per day. So uh, level six power failures in South Africa uh, were carrying on for the last few weeks. Uh, really disrupt, you know, you can imagine you're starting a meal or whatever, you're sitting in a restaurant, <laughs> suddenly power goes out, it's going to be out for the next two hours. So food's ruined, customers are going to leave. Uh, you know, how do you run a business in a situation like that? Well, Eskom has, Eskom is our national power supplier. Eskom just shut down the Kamati power station, which was one of the largest coal plants in the country and in the world, mind you. And they just have decided to close it down. Why would you close down a major uh, power station um, in the middle of a power failure? Well, it's intriguing. They're going to open it up. They're converting this coal burning station into a containerized solar microgrids um, green energy provider. And what they are doing is they're organizing to repurpose shipping crates full of batteries powered by solar panels that will be deployed to far-flung rural communities, which are currently off the electricity grid. So this isn't, instead of powering people who need it, they're going to stop powering the people in the cities and the factories, and they're going to now provide a whole lot of batteries and solar panels to uh, people in areas who haven't needed electricity up till now, which is kind of intriguing. They're buying up huge sections of farmland to make agrivoltaics, that means solar panel farms growing in the fields instead of crops. And uh, where did all this come from? Well, would you believe it all came um, uh, from uh, the group that's called JETIP, uh, Just Energy Transition Partnership. Now, the EU decided to allocate $8.5 billion, that's US dollars, $8.5 billion in seed money to South Africa to close down the energy plants and convert to green energy. Now, uh, Africa's uh, third largest economy is South Africa, and it's also the world's 12th most serious emitter of carbon dioxide, they tell us. And so at the COP26 in Glasgow last November, the United Kingdom, the United States, France, Germany, and the rest of the EU joined together to allocate $8.5 billion to send to South Africa as a bribe to the South government to move off uh, coal energy, fossil burning uh, energy plants to what they call Just Energy Transition Partnership, 
JETP, as a way of easing economic and social disruptions that poorer countries face that attempt to lower their carbon footprints. Now, it's intriguing because uh, what they're saying is if they can make this work in South Africa, it'll be an inspiration to countries all over the so-called third world. Not that we used to be third world, but we are now. And so they've said if Eskom and South Africa can make progress in converting oil and coal plants into uh, solar panel plants, Vietnam, Indonesia, Senegal, and India are likely to follow, and the rest of the world will have a clear route to net zero. Net zero uh, to them might mean something else, but I think what it means for us is you know, zero electricity in many cases. We've got an incredibly corrupt government. Um, I don't know that that $8.5 billion is going to do any good because it'll probably disappear before it actually reaches the ground and does any of the planned goals because Africa has a tremendous problem with corruption. The African Union Task Force on Corruption has calculated that 32% of the gross domestic product of Africa is lost to corruption to governments every year. 32%. That's a third. You know, one out of three um, dollars or pounds uh, uh, in Africa is lost to government corruption. That's not even talking about other crime. They're just talking about government corruption. So just imagine that. That is 10 times more than all the foreign aid Africa receives. So they don't need foreign aid in Africa if we could just get rid of 10% of corruption. Well, if we get 20% of the corruption gotten rid of, uh, it would be better than all the foreign aid we're getting right now. Uh, so what Africa needs is, is uh, not more foreign aid. What it needs is more freedom, and especially freedom from corruption. So we've got um, ESCOM, the, the uh, government-owned, what they call SOE, which is a state-operated uh, enterprise or state-owned enterprise. And uh, ESCOM has been in disaster area for a long time. Since 2005, we've been having regular power failures, regular, regular power failures since 2005. We'd never had power failures before. Now you have nationwide scheduled power failures, which they like to call load shedding. Now, you might as well get to know all these terms because it's coming, I think, to all over Europe and uh, many parts of North America too, if they continue on this war on food and fuel, which we know is ultimately a war against freedom. So what they are saying is, now just take, for example, South Africa, which at this moment, 120,000 workers in South Africa employed in coal production, coal mining, and coal transportation. And they plan to phase all of them out. 120,000 workers are going to be out of jobs because um, they don't want us to use coal, even though we've got some of the largest deposits of coal. And 84% of our energy in South Africa comes from coal, coal plants, uh, all run by Eskom Holdings. So the um, New World Order crowd and the EU and so on, they all acknowledge that, okay, that'll put 120,000 people out of work, but no problem. We're going to uh, retrain them uh, to get into these um, solar panel green energy, converting and repurposing these containers. And uh, lo and behold, this is going to bring electricity to places that don't need or have it right now. And who's going to provide the electricity that used to be being provided by, for example, Kamati Power Station. Well, don't worry about that. Don't ask silly questions. They can always have more power failures. They call these scheduled blackouts power failures. They call them load shedding. Now, the term load shedding would suggest to me that they've got so much that they're giving it away free. <laughs> this is some of the most expensive and unreliable electricity in the world. We used to have some of the cheapest and reliable, most reliable energy on the planet uh, South Africa provided through Eskom, which was phenomenal. Um, in fact, when the Kariba Dam started, they were providing um, a kilowatt for basically one cent. 
uh, and uh, just a phenomenal amount of uh, uh, industrialization was made possible by uh, the hydroelectric power plants of Kariba and Hendricksburg Dam and, and others like that. Uh, South African Rhodesia were really leading the world in a lot of the hydroelectric power plants. And right now, we've got the government taking over these plants. Do you know, at this moment, they are producing less electricity in Zimbabwe now than was being produced when Kariba was opened 60 years ago. So when the population was basically 10% what is now, they were producing more energy and electricity than are producing now uh, in Zimbabwe. And South Africa, uh, Eskom's producing less electricity now than it did in 1994, but it costs something like 20 times more. This is typical. So what we've got is, um, I'm sure you've noticed living in Britain that the government's got so much money to spare uh, that they can afford to throw billions to some country out there in Africa to shut down electricity plants. I mean, I thought you're heading into a cold winter and you are all having to ration and they talk about we won't have enough power for the um, coming winter, uh, all because of sanctions on Russia and, and the other wars on fuel. You can see a concerted war on fuel. There's a war against um, energy. And without cheap, reliable energy, you don't have reliable uh, electricity. You cannot have industry in an advanced nation because so much of our nations these days depend on reliable, cheap energy. If you don't have that, you can't travel as much. You can't produce as much. I mean, factories, everything that you are thinking about in industrialized society needs electricity. Even your electric car needs electricity because it's got to plug in and recharge those incredibly environmentally unfriendly batteries, which are probably made in red China, along with the solar, uh, um, uh, the entire solar industry, along with the wind turbines. Just about all of them are made in China. China dominates the market 70-something percent. Uh, of uh, so-called green energy, and they violate just about all uh, laws of ecology and conservation. And of course, Red China is the worst um, plastic polluter of the oceans on uh, uh, on record anywhere. So here we are seeing that they are trying to put more and more money in. Now, right now, they're saying that South Africa needs something like $250 billion to rebuild its uh, grossly abused um uh, power stations, which basically they'd been run very well and there was nothing remotely resembling a power failure before 1994. But since St. Nelson Mandela, the globalist New World Order idol, took power in 1994, things have gone downhill in every way. Uh, when he took power, the rand was about two rand to the dollar, and now it's something between 15 and 17 rand to the dollar. And uh, not only that, but we have power failures when Mandela took over. We were having something in the region of 70,000 commercial farmers who were feeding 100 million people. And we only had a population of 28 million, so we were producing four times more food than, than we needed, and uh, many other countries benefited. Right now, we're down to about 26,000 commercial farmers who are producing enough food for 40 million people, but now the population has doubled to over 60 million, which means we have to import food. And you can see the same war on food going on in the Netherlands. And so right now, the war on food in Netherlands, which is which also is run sadly by another World Economic Forum a global leader uh, who does not seem to care about uh, the people. Prime Minister Mark Rutte of the um, Netherlands, he's a Davos man, so a Dutch Davos man. He's a real friend of, of Klaus Schwab. And uh, uh, he's been selected to be the host of the new Global Coordinating Secretariat of the Food Action Alliance, which is 
WF's World Economic Forum scheme for global food control, and to show how seriously he takes uh, the looking after food of the Netherlands, he wants to basically have the people of the Netherlands euthanize uh, more than half of their cattle, and uh, they want to close down over 11,200 farms in the Netherlands. Um, they want the other 17,600 farmers to significantly reduce their livestock, sometimes from half to 95% of their cows or cattle must be euthanized. So they say, and this is why, because the Netherlands needs more space, which is now being used by farms um, to house more migrants. And they're getting in something ridiculous like 100,000 new migrants a year and uh, 100,000 a year. Where are they going to put them? Netherlands is the most over-concentrated um, country in the world. It's got the least amount of space, the highest density population in the world in Netherlands, and yet the Netherlands is the second larger exporter of food in the world, the small country. Well, Mark Rutter, this Davos Dutchman, this uh, World Economic Forum global leader, uh, he's got a solution. Um, close down about half the farms, uh, euthanize more than half the cattle, and uh, the state must buy up thousands of these very productive farms that are bringing in 100 billion euros of uh, funds into the country from exporting food around the world, um, <laughs> cut half of that. And uh, what are we going to use these farms for? To house migrants uh, who are coming in from North Africa. You know, really, and you can't make this sort of thing up. But that's, that's not all. We've got some other pretty, pretty bizarre things going on. You've got the British government, who is, I believe, meant to be conservative party, and yet they are uh, wanting to rent castles to house migrants. So uh, with a thousand migrants crossing in a single day, uh, the government tried to rent a famous castle, the Camelot Castle Hotel in Tingale in Cornwall, which is the epicenter of where uh, the Arthur, King Arthur uh, Camelot legends begin from. And it was one of the greatest uh, tourist attractions in the days of the Victorians in particular. Well, the Camelot Castle Hotel was contacted and offered a million pounds uh, to hire all their rooms for a year. Now, this Camelot Castle Hotel, um, they offer their rooms for only £256 a night. £256 a night for a room. And uh, no problem. Uh, this this luxury four-star hotel um, must just make all its rooms available for a full year for migrants who've just come across the channel. Now, I, th I think Great Britain has some homeless people on the streets. But apparently, uh, if you've just come across the uh, the border illegally, rescued by uh, elements of the Coast Guard who I thought should be protecting Britain from invaders, and, uh, you know, you just think how Britain dealt with invaders in the past, and uh, uh, now they sort of bring them in and going out and helping them across and uh, then uh, putting them in the hotels, and not just basic hotels, um, <clears throat> not even in uh, army barracks or in tents like soldiers would be put in, being put in luxury hotels. And yet the people in the community, uh, in, in uh, Tintagel, in Cornwall, are struggling to buy food and they are looking for a very cold winter because they can't afford to pay for the heat. And so the owner of the um, Cornwall Castle Hotel, uh, John Mappin, uh, couldn't believe what his uh, receptions were saying. So he phoned up and spoke to the um, Home Secretary um, personally to find out about this and said, well, you know, what about 
any damage done uh, that they might do to a lot of this is incredibly historic and uh, vintage and uh, lots of uh, real irreplaceable art and so on. And I was told, don't worry, just take photographs and, um, you know, we'll refund you. <laughs> it's interesting, they can throw a million pounds at a castle hotel to house migrants for a year. And um, obviously with free Wi-Fi and all the rest of it. And yet they can't seem to help their own people. So all of this is very much part of what we've got to call a war on food and fuel and finances. Worldwide, we are, we are seeing this. This is what I think Vladimir Lenin called constructive chaos. The globalists have used wars and economic depressions and recessions and population control to undermine Western civilization and bring about their new world order or new world disorder. The Islamic invasion, Trojan horse, mass migrations into Europe, the escalating riots, the terrorism, all of this represents an advanced stage in this anti-Christian agenda. Because through aggressive population control tactics, I mean, remember, about a century ago, uh, mothers were almost always working at home and looking after children, raising children, and having anything from 7 to 12 to 14 or more children. Uh, but when the globalists managed with the First World War to uh, get women out of the home and into the workplace, into the factories to take the place the men had been conscripted and shoved off into the front, uh, then uh, it became easier to tax the woman, tax both uh, uh, man and wife uh, in the home, and uh, therefore the children have to be brought up by the state. And, uh, well, what could go, possibly go wrong? So through aggressive population control tactics and promoting birth control and abortion and sterilizations and massive propaganda of overpopulation, the globalists have dramatically brought down the populations of Europeans and Americans and Australians and uh, anyone else of European stock and brought about economic collapse and vast um, population movements of refugees by uh, betraying stable governments in Africa and Asia and South America and stimulating huge demographic uh, migrations into Europe, North America, South Africa, Australia. So by dramatically decreasing the population of those countries traditionally Christian and by exploding the population of those who are pagan, or come from non-Christian or anti-Christian backgrounds, the goal has been a dramatic change in demographics and the ultimate goal is the death of Christian civilization. The sharp decline of the birth rate of Europeans and the massive influx of Muslim migrants into Europe, for example, is hoped to bring about a transformation of Europe into Eurabia. And the goal in all of this is a world population more amenable to manipulation and control by globalists. Because from America being a mostly Protestant Christian nation of people from a European background, the promotion of population control methods to suppress the growth of Protestant Americans and stimulating huge influx of immigrants from third world nations have brought America to a position where the demographics have been radically altered. And white Europeans, who used to be like all of them, are now about to become the minority. And to distract and neutralize the Christian church, false doctrines and heresies have been vigorously promoted and pacifism has been promoted and an obsession with end times prophecies has distracted many Christians. And then antinomianism has gutted the church of the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, but, but they don't want the law. They hate the law. You must obey man's law from the UN, but not God's law. And so you can see Worldly music, age-segregated services, youth groups which entertain rather than educate have further undermined 
Christian resistance New World Order. So discernment's at a very low ebb in the average church today. Sensationalism, materialism, idolatrous elevating of high-profile televangelists, faith healers, all of this seems to have sidetracked many believers from fulfilling the Great Commission. Because most Christians barely notice that secular humanists have hijacked the schools, have continued to send their children to what are effectively anti-Christian brainwashing institutions. Theological seminaries have generally been infiltrated by liberal theologians and those who hold to what they call theistic evolution. Uh, And the resulting undermining of biblical Christianity through many denominations is analogous to a cancer working its way through what used to be a healthy body. A cancer is a cell that does not contribute to the health of the body. And you can see a lot of cancer cells in our societies. You know, you can have a dog who has a few ticks and he can survive, but if it gets lots of ticks, it'll kill him. A body can only have a few parasites and that'll undermine its health. But if you get a lot of parasites, it can kill him. And our society now has many, many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of parasites who have no loyalty or allegiance or simulation to the country. You're not working to build it up, but are working to break it down through everything from litter, crime, violence, theft, corruption, rape, grooming gangs, and all the rest of it. History has testified that God has blessed and used the Christian nations to bless all the families of the nations of earth. The Protestant nations of Western Europe have a great Christian heritage. And despite violent opposition, Protestants emerged from the fires of persecution to change lives and to make history and to transform nations. And faithful believers contended for the faith and preserved and translated God's word, reformed the church, vigorously proclaimed the word of God to all nations. Christian civilization achieved the highest levels of productivity, innovation, scientific discoveries, medical advances, missionary outreaches, works of mercy, successfully campaigning to end the slave trade to set the captives free, to lay foundations for justice through the rule of law. So the legacy of faith and freedom through Christian Europe is unparalleled in the history of the world. And the 19th century was the greatest century of missionary advance, a century of astounding inventions and spectacular advances in technology. Many countries experienced revival, dramatic spiritual revivals, and Christian missionaries won whole tribes and nations to the Lord in the remotest regions of the globe. <clears throat> so Christianity came to the beginning of the 20th century on a rising, apparently unstoppable tide. Christianity was gaining spectacular momentum as missionaries from Europe were evangelizing and discipling virtually every tribe and nation in the furthest flung islands of the world. The Protestant faith far outstripped even the Catholic and Orthodox branches, missionary activity, vitality, initiative, The Protestant faith became the most dominant faith of the most productive, powerful, prosperous nations in history in the northern southern hemispheres, especially uh, Great Britain and Germany and the United States of America and the Netherlands and down the south, you can see in South Africa and Australia. And at the world's first missions conference in Edinburgh in 1910, delegates were anticipating the completion of the Great Commission within their lifetime, within their generations. No one in 1910 at Edinburgh, would have anticipated the wholesale abandonment of entire nations to communism and false religions and secularism and heathenism. Nor would anyone have predicted that the church would retreat from victory to such an extent that be questioning the existence of the devil or hell or redefining marriage to include what God in the Bible describes as a perversion, abomination or 
or questioning that there's more than two genders or that marriage could be other than between a man and a woman uh, or whether men could participate in women's sports and dumb things like that and uh, whether men could wander into women's bathrooms and identify as a, as a female and things like this. Who would have imagined that back in 1910? But the Christian era of bold missionary expansion came to an abrupt halt as the guns of August 1914 erupted and the great European countries which had been the heartland of Christendom, the source of most of the world's missionaries, devastated one another's economies, annihilated millions of one another's young men in one of the most tragic, senseless conflicts in history. And this brings us right up to today, because it seems that over 100 years later, we've got the same banksters working with a war against food, a war against fuel, a war against freedom, and seeking to bring about another world war for their great reset, and to bring down the world's population to under 500 million, as the uh, Georgia Guidestones and the World Economic Forum claim to want. So we've got to learn from the past. The sinister bankers, or should I call them banksters, who pulled the strings behind the scenes, who engineered the genocide of Europe, were the same ones who owned many of the companies that made the machine guns and the bullets and the bombs and the shells and artillery that destroyed the cream of Europe. There are numerous studies that have shown the roles of Freemason bankers and politicians like Lord Nathan Rothschild, whose goal was to bring down Christian civilization. Nothing could have stopped the positive onward march of Christianity worldwide except that Christians were persuaded to kill one another so enthusiastically and so efficiently in the First World War. And here we have today, where are the largest numbers of Christians in Europe today? Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Russia and Ukraine have the largest numbers of born-again, Bible-believing, evangelical Christians in all of Europe, not necessarily percentage, but certainly in terms of numbers. And to see two Christian nations fighting against one another, I don't mean that the governments are, are Christian, but the and plainly the Ukraine government is anything but Christian. Uh, but the fact is many of the soldiers who are doing the fighting and dying are Christians. And so what we are seeing right now is another secularization and revolution to bring about a great reset. And so you can see what the Bible warns about in Revelation 13, when the, when the beast and uh, his false prophet will aim to bring about a one-world government with a one-world economic system and a one-world interfaith religion. And we know this is what the globalists, the people of Davos, the World Economic Forum, this is what they're working at. And uh, we've looked at the Sabbatan movement of Sabbatay Zevi, which is still around today and which massively influenced a lot of people. Of course, many would know about the Illuminati and the Bilderbergers and the Council on Foreign Relations, or the Trilateral Commission. There's many globalist groups that are working for similar goals. And, and it dovetails with the Marxist agenda. You look at what the Sabbatan movement determined as their goals, and you look at the Illuminati's goals, and you look at the goals of Marxism as placed in the Marxist Manifesto of 1848. And they've got the same goals. It's, it's quite clear, and it's, it's shocking. And so when we see this plain war on fuel, and make no mistake, it's extremely serious. Bear in mind that under President Donald Trump, America was oil independent, and the price of fuel was way down. And um, it, here's the first American president uh, since Herbert Hoover in the 1930s to not start a new war. And uh, that's quite extraordinary because it seems wars won the business of the United States, you know, military industrial complex and all that. 
So when we look at what's going on right now, this is quite insane. They're talking about nuclear war. They're talking about a possible third world war. They're talking about the war in Ukraine dragging out for 10, even 50 years. There's there's military and political leaders in the United Kingdom and the United States talking about this being a war that you've got to expect to last for another 10 to 50 years. Who could possibly benefit from this, aside from the banksters and the, the Illuminati crowd behind the scenes? This is uh, obviously a goal is to kill a lot of people and bring population down, but to lower the standards of living, to make people easier to control. If people are living in peace and able to be productive, they don't really need government. But the more war there is and the more famine there is and the more there's a shortage of energy, well, the more people will be desperate and need government, even globalist government. The goal here is globalism. And uh, that's, that's the goal. As uh, Karl Marx said, the first battlefield is a rewriting of history. And so Marx's disciples have been very busy through the educational institutions, uh, through the entertainment industry, rewriting history. And the news media and the entertainment industry and the education institutions are now overwhelmingly dominated by secular humanist prejudice against Christianity with a globalist agenda. And the tactics, confuse, divide and conquer, corrupt and conquer. And you can see... There's tremendous uh, evils here, world, one world government, one world economic system, one world religion, shorthand to describe these three pillars, new world order, globalism. And we've got to resist it. And there's resistance. And uh, what's gone on in Italy is very interesting with uh, the rise of a government that has a nationalist agenda and rejects the EU globalist internationalist agenda. Uh, Sweden's had a major setback for the new world order as well. Uh, Hungary, uh, uh, Two more recently, and you can see rising movements such as in, in South Africa for secession uh, of the Cape of Good Hope. So there's there's different groups resisting the globalist New World Order. The Roman leader Cicero wrote in 42 BC, a nation can survive its fools, even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known, he carries his banners openly. But the traitor, the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in the accents familiar to his victims. He wears their face and their garments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of a city. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to be feared. Now, you see there, what does a traitor do? He undermines the pillars of the city. Well, the pillars of any society has got to be food, fuel, and freedom. Well, though uh, they will say finances instead of freedom, uh, but we know a lot of the finances are smoke and mirrors, and it's blips on the computer screen, and it's unjust weights and measures where they literally have a hidden tax in, in inflation. But food and fuel, you need food and fuel. You need food to survive and you need fuel for modern industry and communication systems as such as what we are using right now. But commodities are more important than cash. And we need to be those sort of people who are not dependent on the globalists and the totalitarian governments for uh, our food and fuel. We've got to become more good neighbors, more self-sufficient wherever possible. And we've got to watch out for the wars on food and fuel, like what we see going on in South Africa, where they're murdering farmers, 
taking farms, uh, bringing our farm production down, taking us from being a country that produced four times more food than we need needed to where we can't even produce enough food for 80% of our own population and where we need now imports. But this war on fuel, this is going to lead to a very cold, dark winter for many in Europe. And plainly, all of this could be resolved by some common sense policies like, let's stop this war, let's sit down, let's make a negotiate settlement, which has got to be done. Russia's too big to be defeated. Ukraine doesn't have a chance of winning this war. They should have known this ahead of time. Okay, NATO um, membership is not a good idea. If Ukraine would just say, we won't join NATO, we'll remain neutral. And, uh, you know, that could have stopped the war even before it began. That could have stopped the war at the end of the first week. It could have stopped the war a month later. But no, the US, especially led by the Biden administration and those behind him, the puppet masters pulling the strings, Plainly, they wanted the war to continue and to escalate and to deteriorate and for more civilian casualties. It's all part of the globalist new world disorder war on food, on fuel, on freedom and on faith. It's against the faith. And we need to know what's going on. We've got to understand the times. We've got to resist. It's absolutely vital that we do not allow ourselves to be manipulated by the new world order and we've got to reclaim our societies. We've got to stop this demographic time bomb where they keep importing replacement populations to basically get rid of those who say, give me liberty or give me death. My conscience has kept the word of God. They don't want those sort of people. They don't want Christians. If Christians ask questions, they resist, they ask why, and they think critically. You don't want that. What they want is puppets, consumers, masters. No wonder the Italian prime minister, uh, Maloney, is, is so hated for saying, I am a Christian, woman, mother, Italian. Globalists hate our identity. They don't want us to be to have an identity. They want us just to be classless, genderless. They want us to be a number. They just want us to be consumers and subjects. Well, uh, imagine that it's it's now considered hate speech to say I am a Christian, woman, mother, and Italian. I mean. <laughs> Four things, and that's now considered now hate speech. Bizarre, and that makes you an ultra-right-wing extremist uh, to say something that a few years ago people would have said, well, what's wrong with that? That's about as normal as it comes. To say something like there's only two genders or marriage can only be between a man and a woman can now be a hate crime, treason, blasphemy towards the new world order. And uh, to say that men shouldn't be allowed to take part in women's sports, uh, again, you could get deplatformed, lose your position, get fired uh, from your uh, position as a teacher in university, it uh, could get you to uh, not pass the exams and so on. You could be expelled from school for saying something like that. We're living in an absolutely bizarre world, but let's take a few steps back and look and say, what we're facing is a globalist war against food, fuel, finances, freedom, and our faith. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, absolutely. And the uh, other thing I'll, I'll mention as well, um, you talked about immigration and what amazes, well, it doesn't amaze me. We know what these people are like. Um, we're consistent here in pointing out their inconsistencies. The amount of people living in London, as I do, South London, that I see homeless virtually everywhere that I go, that the government can't house... Uh, there's one guy I see, he's been at the end of my road um, two, three years, something like that. Same guy, sits there, mm. sleeps there. Um, but he's not being taken to a hotel. 
and put up. I mean, he's white. Uh, in fact, uh, all the homeless people that I see appear to be white. I'm not aware that I've ever seen any that weren't. Um, I don't know if that's why they're not housed in hotels and migrants are. But one thing that anyone, any normal human being would realise is, for example, if you didn't have enough room... If you had a hotel, for example, and you only had 50 rooms, you wouldn't book 100 guests, would you? If it was obviously <laughs> one guest per room. And I'm getting basic here. So, but why can a country should just say, look, we've got homeless people we can't house, so how can we house these people? They're not coming in. End of story. But they don't do that. And there's a reason for that. And I think I'll play it, actually, if you don't mind, Peter, because um, when we talk about immigration uh, and people like Georgia Maloney and um, Marine Le Pen, all these right-wing sort of leaders out there, they're very critical of uh, immigration and the immigrants, but I've never heard one of them ever talk about this person, Barbara Lerner Spector, who in this video I'm going to play to you, actually says, well, you'll hear what she says, But if these people are so against immigration, how come I've heard this video, Peter's heard this video, many of you listening have heard this video, but none of the so-called right-wing leaders have heard this video? I've never heard any of them refer to this video. How come Victor Orban has never played this video? Is it only people in the independent media that are aware of this video? So I'm going to play it for you now, folks, because I've played it many times. It's only um, one, just over one minute. I'm opening it up with VLC, so it's going to take a bit longer because I can get that to go a bit louder, and I think it comes in a little low. So just as it's opening now, just give me a moment. It is taking its time for some reason. Here we go. As we heard, there are people in Sweden who support Israel and have a deep sense of the injustice of the present situation. It's these people who give hope to those who still believe that things will get better here. One of them is Barbara Spector, a former American who made Aliyah and then, ten years ago, with the help of the government of Sweden, set up a non-denominational institute of Jewish learning with the Greek name of Paideia, here in Stockholm. She believes the current wave of anti-Semitism in Sweden will pass and that Jews have an important role to play in a country undergoing profound change. I think there's a resurgence of anti-Semitism because at this point, in time, Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. And I think we're going to be part of the throes of that, of that transformation, which must take place. Europe is not going to be the monolithic uh, uh, societies that they once were in the last century. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive. I take that as a threat, a direct threat. If you do not accept the immigration, you will not survive. And this could well be why we are seeing this attack on our food and fuel supply, because maybe the concern is now that there are too many people talking about this issue in Europe. There are too many people that aren't happy with it, hence these people like Georgia Maloney are getting in power. And the globalists know that even if they control someone like her, 
And so she never refers to Barbara Lerner Spector or her saying the Jews are going to be at the centre of that in reference to immigration into Europe. Um, they still know that the populace don't want the immigration. So it could be that they've said, actually, we're going to still do it, but we're going to have to do another plan, which is cutting off the food and the fuel because we do need to get rid of white Christian civilization, which is why there's only ever a problem with diversity in the West. And I, I'll go all over the globe with the West. There's where Peter is, say, in South Africa, with a great white population down there. They don't say that there's not enough white people in Nigeria. We've got to put whites in there. But you get more and more blacks come to South Africa, and then let's jump over to Australia. That's a complete other part of the world. You know, so... Yeah, we need lots of diversity there. New Zealand, we need all these Muslims uh, to have their mosques over there. Then we go over to North America. We need lots of non-whites there. And then we jump back to Europe and we need non-whites there. But you don't see this push into China, into Chile, uh, you know, Japan, these places. It's only ever white nations that need immigration. And when Peter said earlier that the goal is to destroy Christian civilization, well, Christian civilization is historically white. Do you see lots of different cathedrals and what have you through Africa, South America? No, they are mainly in Europe. That is the centre of white civilization. That is where the missionaries, uh, the majority of them came out of that Peter talks about on his websites and in his presentations. Peter, uh, over to you for your comments. Yes, uh, Klaus Schwab of World Economic Forum said at the 2022 World Government Summit, global energy systems, food supplies and supply chains are about to be deeply affected. And he said the only answer to the coming global food and energy crisis is to expand government power. How about that? They create a problem and then they offer solutions, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, Hegelian dialectic, as, as the Marxists always put it. So that you create a crisis and then you offer the only possible solution, which is what you want in the first place. And so in order to promote global government, uh, the whole uh, Great Reset, they are bringing about this global energy, food systems, supply chains crisis. And you can see it's man-made. You can see this government policy made. I mean, there was the United States under Donald Trump, energy independent did not need OPEC barrels of oil. They, they were managing without Saudi Arabia. They didn't need gas or energy from Russia or anywhere else. America has all that they need to be energy independent. Well, as soon as Biden's administration came in, they rescinded a whole lot of those advances made by Trump and made America energy dependent. And that's just America. Of course, Canada's got its own problems with South Africa. We've seen a war on the farmers going on for over 28 years here, too. Literally a war where they're literally murdering with massive terrorist gangs, torturing to death farmers and destroying crops and burning vast amounts of warehouses of food. And, and so there has been a war on food all over the world. And to see the war on the Dutch farmers right now and resistance um, from the Dutch farmers very inspiringly. But uh, Klaus Schwab was predicting this all, all along that there's going to be massive disruptions to the energy systems, the food systems, and the food supply chains, and there's only one solution, global government. Now, I mean, how clear is that? Anybody who's paying attention should see this is not some accidental thing we fall into. Uh, these people, just as they engineered the First and Second World Wars, just as they brought about great resets in Europe after the First and Second World Wars, now they're seeking 
another war. And if we don't behave ourselves and if we don't do what they want, then they want to enter even a third world war because, you know, the good thing is it destroys a lot and it brings down the world's population. And every time there's a war, they can reset, such as after the First World War, what did they do? The side treaty, creating new countries, carving off others, massive population relocation. Um, Soviet Union comes about. After the Second World War, Soviet Union, communism gets a third of the world's land surface. United Nations comes out of it. Uh, world Health Organization, UNESCO and all the rest. And so uh, the next step is a global government. So you can see from League of Nations, United Nations, and now the Third World War, they're planning another major reset uh, just as they've done before. And it's the same people, basically. I mean, you can see this, and it's got the Sabbatan uh, fingerprints all over it, as we discussed in our program on 1666 and the Sabbatan uh, movement, uh, the roots of the New World Disorder. And you, you can see this is following the pattern of the Illuminati and of the Marxist Manifesto, which is virtually identical. And um, if we don't see what's going on around us, it, this isn't a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy, but there's no theory about it. This is published. This is this is what they say. Read the Marxist Manifesto. Read uh, what the Illuminati's put out. Uh, read read what the World Economic Forum um, puts out. Read what Klaus Schwab has said in the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, this is where they're trying to lead us, and of course we must resist. And we are so grateful to the farmers of the Netherlands and the people of Italy and the voters in Sweden and the truckers of Canada and so many others who are standing up. And we need more people to resist because this is a small group uh, that are pushing this globalism on us. On us, As we saw after the death of the Queen, uh, the love for tradition and nationalism and for Christianity is much deeper and much wider than we've been led to believe. There's far more people out there who are not on board with this globalist agenda, and we should not be discouraged. More of us that stand up and speak out, the more we'll be encouraged to realize, oh, I'm not the only person in the world who thinks like this. We are being conned. We're being lied to. We're being deceived. And I think we can see a lot of it on, for example, the Ukraine war. And so much of what they said like with the lockdown lunacy, the masquerade madness. It's all been shown to be lies. And what a colossal uh, waste of time and money and destruction of so many people's businesses and families and churches and communities as a result of trying to deal with what turned out to be a man-made virus, which was funded and dealt with in uh, Wuhan Biological Warfare Laboratory, which was in relationship with the CDC in America. And uh, honestly, there was old... Um, uh, Fauci, um, the um, uh, Wuhan Health Organization uh, Pope, uh, actually funding a whole lot of these things and lying about it. And then there was the whole uh, tech, great tech media from Zuckerberg onwards, shutting down and uh, um, deplatforming people who were telling the truth and being whistleblowers about what they called fake news. So we know what we're facing. It's a war on food, fuel, faith and freedom. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, what you said, it, it, I want to go in this direction. Now, I've never been very good at predictions, folks. Um, I've looked at things like Planet X. I've, I've written my book. Fortunately, there wasn't a lot of uh, predictions in, um, if any, I think, in the Synagogue of Satan. It was really just a history of how we are where we are today. Um, but one thing that I maintained is that at some point, 
I mean, I thought that that book would wake people up and this, this lot would, would have their day and they'd been exposed. That's how naive I was. But one thing I have always maintained is that at some point, what they've been doing covertly, which I reveal in the book, they would have to come out overtly because the plan is to take world domination, you know, a one-world government, what have you. You can't have that unless it's sort of announced, although, as Dr Lorraine Day said on Tuesday's show, she believes it's already in place and that's how they were able to lock down the whole world in the space of a week uh, due to COVID that Peter, um, you know, referenced. Um, but they will never tell you the truth, okay? So... Some people say that Peter just said that the time to stand up and speak out is now. These people may be doing very well at what they're doing, this World Economic Forum globalist types, or they may be utterly desperate. But let me give you, this is Tuesday, it's 11.08 in the morning UK as we record this show. And this is the Daily Mail. It's the first headline I found on it um, about the Russia-Ukraine. Desperate Putin's double trouble. UK intelligence chief says Russian despot is losing support at home and his exhausted troops are running out of supplies as defiant Zelensky taunts Kremlin that missile barrage which killed 14 will not break Ukraine. Well, I'm sure many of you have seen the images on Monday uh, this week of all these uh, missile strikes across Ukraine in revenge for this bridge in Crimea being blown up. Now, they look pretty serious to me, but they will never tell you the truth if it doesn't suit their narrative. They have this belief. that They have a saying, if you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. And they actually believe that. So they think if they can keep lying about what's really happening, then their lie will become the fact. So they could well be on the ropes at the moment and they're going out, oh, well, you're going to have this and you're going to eat bugs and you're all these different things because that is what they want. You're talking about the literal children of Satan on this planet, the synagogue of Satan, as referred to in the book of Revelation. This is what they want. It doesn't mean it's what they're going to get. And just because they say how well they're doing, you look at what their media says about the war between Russia and Ukraine, and it's so obvious, regardless of what you think of either side, Russia is clearly winning. Russia clearly has a lot of support in Russia, the people. Um, I saw an article the other day where the people were marching up and down they were protesting in Russia at the Russian government not doing enough. They wanted nuclear strikes on America as a result of the Crimean bridge being blown up. So <coughs> if anything, the Russian people are angry at Putin for not doing enough. Not for invading Ukraine, for not doing more. Because of they've seen how the West has been behaving over these decades the satanic societies that they've become as Russia has embraced Christianity. So I just wanted to make that point. And Peter, if you could just uh, give any response you would like and then let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you. Yes, um, <clears throat> it's vital that we turn to God at this time. We are facing such an antichrist agenda out there. There's no doubt uh, that the enemy hates God. And uh, this is what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the world has never before known such a malevolence, such such a hatred towards God as found in the old Soviet Union, the communist system, which now seems to have moved far west. And uh, we see it in the global 
uh, elite in the World Economic Forum and the Sabatans and everything from the Jeffrey Epsteins and Harvey Weinsteins and the Bill Clintons, uh, all the way through to the globalists that we see today uh, trying to lead us uh, down into a new Armageddon and into a new world war, which is insane. How is this going to help anybody? So it's the Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. It's important not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so uh, we've got to know the truth. We've got to understand the times and we need to be uh, speaking out and mobilizing people because um, we call to love our neighbor as ourself and to go and do likewise. This is the teachings of Christ. If anyone wants to get hold of me, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za or ZA as the Americans say, peter at frontline.org.za. Uh, or you could go onto our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org for the website. Thank you so very much, Andrew. Uh, uh, Andrew, it's so vital to keep getting the truth out and to mobilize people and to have hope for the future. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Peter. And God bless you. And I know I can say that on behalf of the audience as well. The work that you've done uh, for all of us listening, including myself, has been tremendous and you're an absolute asset to this broadcast. So I want to thank Peter so much for hosting the real story of the war on food, fuel and freedom with me today. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye for now.